happening, everyone? Welcome again to The Window, Canada's sports betting podcast. Ahead on today's episode of The Window, freaking out. Giannis Antetokounmpo makes a surprise return, sending our betting plan into orbit for the finals. The Suns pull away for the win, but I'll go through the pros and cons of the two-time MVP's return and what to do next. Game 5 in the Stanley Cup Final, a bet on the total, while we hope I'm wrong about who wins tonight. Plus, more classic drama at Euro 2020. We get Italy through to the final, why I don't care who they meet in Sunday's final. It's time to head to the window. Let's go. Welcome to the window. I'm your host, Matt Russell. And before we get to the NHL, Euro 2020, and the NBA Finals, I do want to talk quickly about the match. And we didn't talk about this beforehand. We didn't make a bet on it. A couple of different reasons. Reason number one, didn't really have a side that I liked. Uh, The handicap for these events, always kind of wacky, where it's like, okay, what kind of format are they using? How much is the uh, in this case, the NFL quarterback, how much is he going to be involved um, as far as you know, whether or not this team wins or loses? And, you know, you get into, you know, wh- wh- you know where is their value, right? Like in the, uh, minus 175 on one side and plus 125 on the other. So you're not even getting a true uh, straddle uh, as, uh, you know, which is the term for, you know, the difference between the favorite and the underdog, right? Um so, you know, you're paying a lot of juice into this event, no matter which side you're on. And, you know, the event turns out, right, that Aaron Rodgers was probably the difference maker when it comes to who actually won that event, which if you would bet on Bryson because he is the better of the pros, then, you know, you're kind of getting bailed out because we don't think of the quarterbacks going to, you know, going to matter, or at least we don't think of them going in going, okay, who's the better golfer of these two, right? Those two other guys are just in theory kind of along for the ride. But we find out, and maybe we should have known this from the first time that Brady got his chance on the big stage here from a golf standpoint, that we should have known that he wasn't particularly good and that, you know, Rogers, even though we have never seen him golf, um, you know, would be the side that we'd want. And maybe that's why they were favored as much as they were. But more importantly for us here in Canada, wasn't on TV, wasn't on a channel that anybody had. And so there's this weird thing, for those of you in the United States who maybe don't get this necessarily, but there's this weird element. Like we get pretty much everything that the U.S. gets. And there's this tiny little sub pocket of uh, broadcasting, mainly TNT, that we might not get if no one else here in Canada decides to pick it up, right? Decides to pay TNT for the broadcast, right? So a TNT basketball game will get picked up by TSN or Sportsnet, right? The two competing major sports networks in this country. And a made-for-TV thing like the match, it's kind of up to them to decide, okay, like, we're going to buy this. We're going to buy the rights to this from, in this case, TNT. And if they opt not to, then that's it. We're kind of screwed. Now, TNT will put it on what was called CNN International, which is obviously another Turner network. But, you know, it's something that I, I suppose in theory, everybody outside of the US would have an opportunity to have, but it's one of these that's like, you have to go deep into the menu uh, of your local cable or satellite provider to have this channel. So the vast majority of people, if not 
all, I shouldn't say all because I'm sure some people have CNN International uh, here in Canada. Because by the way, we also get regular CNN. So why would we ever want CNN International, right? It doesn't make any sense. So it's this weird, almost eclipse of broadcasting, you know, sports broadcasting where we don't get the option to see it. So if you're not going to let us watch it, then I'm not going to bet on it right? Especially in it when it's literally a made-for-TV event, right? Other than that, there's kind of no way to have a true edge on it, right? It's not like we have to watch every single game that we bet on. It's not like it, those have to be on TV, but there's no way that we were going to have an edge on that, on that event. So why would we, um, frankly, bother betting it, right? If we can't get the two, three, four hours of entertainment out of it. Um, Let's get right into the NBA Finals last night. We'll start there. The ups and downs of, of last night. And we thought, right, we come up with this plan. We talked to Sheldon about it on Monday. We talked about it yesterday. And this plan under the, you know, concept here, these, this preconceived notion, if you will, of Giannis Antetokounmpo being out for, well, you know, we think two games, right? That he's going to come back in game three. Like, that's the expectation. And and he, as of this recording yesterday, he's doubtful. And, of course, we know what doubtful means, right? And then the, as the afternoon goes through by, it's, okay, he's questionable now. Okay, okay so that means he's going to take warm-up, you know, whatever. Maybe get try to get loose or whatever. And then all of a sudden, he's playing. And so we make all of these bets and we have this sort of plan for the series all predicated on this idea that he's going to miss these first two games and then maybe back, be back for Saturday, which of course means there's two days in between games, excuse me, Sunday, which means there's two days in between games uh, two and three as they start to draw it out. And, you know, so we have all this plan and the ups and downs and the, the pros and the cons of him being you know, drawing into the lineup. And I think the most interesting one, right, was the spread. And we talked about plus six being the number that we'd back the, the Bucks last night. And, of course, closing line value, right? The, the playoffs of injury-related closing line value and how frequently that goes awry, right? So it's plus six. Giannis gets ruled in, and it drops down to four and a half, right? And, you know, might have closed five because people bet back the other way on the four and a half, which, again, was our plan, right? Our plan was to bet on the Suns in the first game where Giannis played, right? Fundamentally, that was what we were looking to do. We were just hoping or thinking that that was going to happen in game three. So we get all kinds, you know, I shouldn't say all kinds of closing line value. You get a full point, point and a half of closing line value with our bet on the Bucks, And then you have to make the decision, all right, am I coming back the other way on the Suns here the way I initially planned? But you're sitting there with six full points in a game that's lined uh, four and a half. The other pros, uh, Bobby Portis, right? We talked about the unders for him because, you know, different matchup. The, they have him lined as such as the starter or at least a guy who is going to get a lot of minutes with Giannis out. We're able to get that bet down. And he then, of course, you know, Giannis comes back and Portis doesn't get to play nearly as much. And that's easy, you know, easy sailing, if you will, for those prop bets for Portis. Um, pro, that in theory should have been a pro, uh, Lopez. Right, we talk about him and the difference in his game when Giannis is in versus when Giannis is out. When he's when Giannis is in, 
Lopez has to play a little more on the outside, right? He's more of a spot-up shooter. So the pro is, is that, you know, they might go small ball, right? They might have Lopez not play nearly as much. And that's what happened, right? He only plays 22 minutes. Yet, he still manages to get 17 points and clear his 16.5 point total, which is quite the outlier and you you know you look at the box score and you go okay he was three for five from the three-point line right we talked about Lopez's shooting you know is he going to take five three-pointers if Giannis doesn't play last night I certainly don't think that's going to be the case obviously he's going to play a little bit more but think of it this way right if he doesn't take five he only takes two maybe he only makes one and he doesn't take those two that he makes, that's six extra points in there, right? So he's going to have to make three more two-point shots to be able to equal that. And I don't necessarily think that that would have happened because he. it's not that he didn't play much because Giannis was there. He didn't play much because, and this was like beaten into us during the broadcast, he didn't play that much because the, you know, the pick and roll issue that we talked about with Sheldon, right? Like the defensive issue of just putting... Uh, Lopez into that pick and roll and having uh, Chris Paul in there and then you know DeAndre Ayton's in there and Booker is in there and eventually each one of those guys gets their shot against Lopez and listen the one thing I will say is the broadcast shows the successes when that's the situation right so they go to break and they show you three different times where Lopez gets cooked on a pick and roll but they don't show you when Booker tries the fadeaway two-pointer and it doesn't go or Paul you know same sort of deal that doesn't go um you know or Aiton gets blocked or, or or you know doesn't make a layup or something along those lines right they doesn't they don't show you the negative so it always looks way worse for Lopez than maybe it actually is right that's why you have to go into specific you know possession metrics on when you know he's involved defensively in a pick and roll what is the Suns actual efficiency for their offense there the cons for Giannis uh being back right obviously not part of our overall plan so we do all this content talk to Sheldon you know talk about you know the idea of you know throughout the series and what we're going to do and this that or whatever and then literally hours later everything's changed right and so that can be frustrating especially when we're you know we felt like we were really interested in this series because of the shifting um you know elements right the moving parts for this series and then the other con is Giannis Unders and I go on Twitter and I'm like looking at these numbers it's 24 and a half points 38 and a half points rebounds and assists the rebound number was like 10 and a half something along those lines and I'm just sitting there going like I don't really feel like let me put it this way there's a bunch of different ways that the under can win based on the fact that Giannis is coming back after less than a week or basically a week of having a ex- hyperextended knee, right? Obviously the negative thing is like he goes out there, tries to play and it doesn't work. We see that all the time, especially in basketball, right? See it with James Harden, for example, right? Or he goes out and he's just not that effective and he plays a bunch of minutes and whatever. There's the option of he's plenty effective, but like Bud is being responsible with regards to his minutes. And then the fourth thing, and the thing that actually ended up being the most likely thing that was going to cash all of those unders, is that the Suns, whether or not it's because Giannis is, you know, hurt or, or, or ineffective, maybe just the Suns are way better and the Suns blow them out. Because that's a 20-point game at the end of the third quarter, and Giannis has 10 points, he's got 10 rebounds, and, you know, obviously just a nasty first half, but... You know, you're sitting there going like, 
why would you put this guy back in? And it's funny, that bet doesn't lose the points, rebounds, and assists anyway. The points stay under. But the the points, rebounds, and assists doesn't lose because of Giannis necessarily. It loses because Chris Middleton gets like weird hot at the end of the third quarter and hits a couple of threes. And this, you know, the quarter ends with them being down, you know, 15 or 17, which, you know, in Bud's mind, I guess, makes him think that they can come back in the fourth quarter. Like there was any way the Bucks were going to win the fourth quarter by like 20 points on the road. It just doesn't make any sense. But of course, that's Bud. And so any other normal, sensible coach would be like, you know what? Pretty pleased that Giannis is literally flying around this court. Being, you know, his athletic self, the chase down block was outrageous. Some of the other stuff that he was trying, you know, even if it wasn't necessarily all working for him, like it was pretty clear like he is basically close to 100% or even if he's 80%. And listen, all these percentages are just made up percentages whenever we do this anyway. But like the 80% that he's okay is still better than literally everybody else on the team. And so you would think from a sensible standpoint, you go, you know what? Live to fight another day here. 17-point deficit. Like, why put Giannis, why run Giannis out there for 40 minutes or close to it here, knowing that we're not winning this game? But, of course, Bud's such a dumbass that he thinks they might actually win the game. And instead of playing for, you know, literally the next game, which I think the Bucks have a chance of winning, certainly way more than they did down 17 going into the fourth quarter, he just keeps running them out there. And you're just like, why? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? And of course, he's effective because that's, you know, that's Giannis. He ends up getting to 20 points. The under on the points cash, even as low as a number that's that was available at 23 and a half, that was a little bit scary. I thought that was, you know, way too low, um, given the fact that, you know, the book I had was 24 and a half. But, you know, he tears down 17 rebounds <laughs> in a game where a guy on the other team tears down 19 rebounds and you'd so you know for first and foremost right like if you had told me Giannis was going to have 20 points I would have thought the 38 and a half points rebounds and assists was pretty safe right because you don't you go okay 20 that I'm you're gonna need 19 points excuse me 19 rebounds and assists to beat me on this and he gets 17 on his own just on the on the rebounds Meanwhile, like DeAndre Ayton's pulling down 19 rebounds um, as well. Like there's just not, there just shouldn't be that many rebounds available out there. And so, you know, he, he ends up, you know, chewing up a bunch of, you know, scoring stats, keeps going to the free throw line, keeps making one out of two, and again, keeps getting rebounds in the fourth quarter. But it's all for nothing. It's completely pointless. It's all just risk at that point, right? And they're talking about, like, we'll see how he feels tomorrow. It's like, you know what? He's probably going to feel a lot better tomorrow if he doesn't play 10 minutes in the next four, in the, in the fourth quarter here, right? Like, him coming out for the end of the third and then playing in the fourth quarter, like, doesn't make a ton of sense given this game situation. Does Bud know that there's a scoreboard? Maybe not, right? So, again, the reason that, you know, and I don't know if Bud's got in his in his mind, it's like, well, if we could just be under 20 points down going into the fourth quarter, then we might have a chance. Meanwhile, Middleton's hitting these shots. Meanwhile, with Giannis back and just the idea and, you know, listening to people talk about how, the, you know, this game or this series could be an under series, that Phoenix is the best defense that Milwaukee will have played and the matchups and all of that sort of thing. So, okay, let's try the 219, you know, under 219 and a half. And what happens? Well, it's on its way to cashing through three quarters. And then 
everybody starts making a bucket from like the 950 mark to like the 730 mark if you go to the action network app and it's literally i think one of the best things it's certainly the most fun thing about the action network app is the either point spread or total tracker right the little bar or line graph that goes through the app and sort of shows you okay like the likelihood of you know this overcaching midway through the second period uh, second period of a hockey game second quarter of a basketball game midway through the third quarter right end of the third quarter you get to the end of the third quarter and it's basically 50 50 it's like right on the line there we're also watching this game so we know okay like if it's a blowouty type of a game that's going to probably mean that you know scrubs are playing the last few minutes you know the bench guys and the likelihood of this going over uh, not very high and or not not maybe reflected in the graph well again like i said two minutes everybody makes a shot from about 9 50 to like 7 30 on the clock and this thing shoots up to a high probability of going over but then it actually dips back down because the defenses kind of take over and Giannis goes to the free throw line and only gets one point and all of these sorts of things that are happening and with like a minute and a half left you're going like we're probably one possession here away you know from a dribble out particularly a bucks miss and then you know probably a shot clock violation potentially for the suns or whatever and who you know <laughs> pushes this thing over 219 and a half as it sits on 219 our boy project Connaughton. He ends up hitting the three, right? Like the one guy you don't want to see make a bucket just out of sheer spite. He makes the three and the game goes over. So, you know, good news is in all of this, right? As we go through our props from yesterday, it was a wild ride. So first and foremost, Chris Paul, double-double plus 120. Does he get it? No. And I literally said yesterday, we, we talked about the idea of over eight and a half assists is minus 150. Do I want to pay that juice for him to go over eight and a half when I can get plus 120 for him to get 10 assists? And what did I say? That pretty much guarantees he's going to have exactly nine assists. Now, I would have been fine if he had eight assists, which he sat on there for a while in the fourth quarter. Would have been fine with those eight assists, having, you know, considering we would have lost either bet, especially since he cleared his point total. And by the way, right, when we talk about Paul early in games, early in the series, and in this case, this was early in the game, doesn't score in the first quarter, finishes with 30 plus points or whatever he finished with, just lighting it up towards the end of the game. And so, you know, we'll talk about him a little bit more in a second here. But of course, it lands on nine. And so the double double bet goes awry. Of course, Lopez scores 17 points in 22 minutes, right? Just a really incredibly unlikely situation for him only playing 22 minutes. The good news is a lot of that gets solved or sort of fixed by Portis under 16 and a half. Um, talked about plus 275 for him to go under 12 and a half in the alternative markets available at Bet365. Under 12 and a half gets there easily because I think he had like five or seven points. So plus 275 cashes there. Aiton, the highlight of the day, just ripping down boards left, right, and center. So he cruises by over 11 and a half rebounds. Then he, frankly, cruises by 14 and a half rebounds as well at plus 350. We're never going to see Aiton, maybe ever in our lifetimes, let alone the rest of this series. I can't imagine getting over 14 and a half rebounds on Aiton at plus 350. And then we took our long shot. Well, listen, a couple of those others were long shots, but over nine and a half for Tucker at plus 350. He gets seven. But again, that goes under the con category of Giannis playing, right? So Giannis plays 
and Lopez moves to the outside. So now he becomes a spot-up shooter, as sort of weird as that sounds, given the guy's seven foot whatever. And so he ends up taking five threes, does Lopez, which means Tucker, you know, kind of in the other, other corner, right, the left-hand corner, Tucker, instead of getting the three, four, five three-pointers that we thought he was going to get, he only gets two three-point opportunities. And he makes one out of the two. And we end up getting a couple of baskets from him otherwise, right? We talked about the idea of like, okay, maybe get to the line. Maybe you can get a bucket down low. He gets two buckets down low. And so he finishes with seven points. But again, doesn't get the three-point opportunities that we thought he was necessarily going to get. He clears his four and a half points, right? His standard over. But we were taking a little bit of a long shot there with him to get uh, over nine and a half points. Um the MVP plan, right? The finals MVP plan, fundamentally, right? Wait till game three and then bet Chris Paul, you know, see what happens in the first two games. He's going to not take it easy, but play a more distributor type of a role. Maybe, you know, the Jay Crowders and the, and the Bookers of the world score a lot of points. Jay Crowder basically does nothing, misses a bunch of shots yesterday. Mikhail Bridges actually was the guy who was that other dude who kind of popped up. Um, but Booker, you know, had some volume, but he shot a ton as well. And so Chris Paul kind of takes things over in the fourth quarter. And so I think it's interesting here that we've got two MVPs, MVP candidates, both, you know, regular season and postseason in Giannis and Paul. And so Giannis's number goes from plus 330 to plus 500, which I think is interesting because one, he had 20 and 17 yesterday and you know, four or five assists on top of that. It's not like he was bad. So given the fact that he was not expected to play in the first two games and he was plus 330 and now he's plus 500, like somehow his odds got worse despite the fact that he played and played well. Now I understand why necessarily his his odds got worse because his win probability got lower because Phoenix won that first game. But again, much like with Montreal, and say Vegas, right? The idea of Montreal losing the first game and like having their chances of winning the series drastically altered in a negative way, it's the same kind of deal, right? With the Bucks, where it's like, okay, the plan isn't necessarily to win the first game. That would certainly be a bonus if you're on the Bucks, right? That would drastically change their, their series line price you know, really, really far down because they have won a road game. But losing a road game where you have a second road game ahead of you shouldn't change the win probabilities as drastically, especially when it was built into that original price that he wasn't even going to play in the first two games. And we were talking about this idea of, well, if, you know, Holiday can make some shots or Middleton can score a bunch, maybe by the time Giannis comes back, you know, a guy like Middleton, for example, would be the front runner for of NBA Finals MVP. Now, obviously, the Bucks would have to win at least one game for that to happen. But now all that stuff's out the window. We have literally seen a game where Giannis was the best player. He looked pretty darn healthy. And now his number falls to plus 500, which, of course, is interesting relative to the series comparison because the series price for them right now is around, like, plus 280, you know, in the high 200s. So... 
you know, do you think if Giannis isn't very good that this that the Bucks are going to win this series? Like, it's very Carey Pricey, right? Where it's like, it kind of doesn't matter how far behind Montreal falls. Like, you would never bet Montreal, you know, 10 to 1 when you can get Carey Price at 15 to 1. You would never bet Montreal at 15 to 1 because you can get Carey Price at 20 to 1, right? Like, it's been that way in hockey. It's the same exact thing when it comes to the NBA Finals here, especially when it comes to Giannis. So if you're looking right now and you're going, well, he's healthy and, you know, yeah, the game was pretty close for two and a half quarters and, you know, Suns pulled away and all of that sort of thing. But like they still have a road game here on game two that they could win. You know, they still have the transfer back home and, the you know, the changing of how that's all going to shake things out. Right. Are they going to be favorites once they get home? Right. Is the series over? Certainly not. And you're thinking about betting on the Bucks. Just bet Giannis. Middleton's not winning NBA Finals MVP, right? It's going to take Giannis doing what he's doing. And all the other guys have to do more stuff, right? Holiday has to do better offensively. Middleton has to score the way that he's scoring, maybe even a little bit more. He kind of needs to average 35 instead of just 28. But that none of that stuff really matters. And it doesn't really matter for Phoenix either, right? And we talked about this. What do we do? When Giannis comes back, bet on Chris Paul to win the MVP. And maybe we get a better number or maybe we just get more information. Well, we're not going to get a better number than the plus 140 from before this series started, right? But what we do have is more information. And so, yes, he moves from plus 140 to minus 140. But we know two things, right? We know one The Suns can obviously win and win comfortably when Giannis plays and Giannis plays really, really well, right? Which is one thing that we might have been worried about if he made some triumphant return for game three. The other thing that we know is that Chris Paul right now is on one, right? He is in a mode. He is, um, you know, looking to take over late in these games and he's not going to wait around for game two game three game four whatever he's not going to wait around till late in the series right through game one a game that we would sort of think okay Devin Booker is going to be maybe the Suns best player at least from a statistical standpoint right because Chris Paul is making that go not the case So not only do we have the narrative like Chris Paul or bust type concept, right, of like he's the difference maker both on the court, he's the difference maker uh, with the franchise all, you know, throughout basically this transformation of the last season, but now he's also statistically the best guy. And so when we look at it and we think to ourselves, yeah, but we missed out on plus 140, I'm still kicking myself for missing out on plus 400 last week when we talked about it with Sheldon on Monday, um, you know, two Mondays ago, I should say, you know, you still, you don't want to just still leave a winning bet or at least a sort of good bet that's out there. And so when you look at, again, the series prices, Phoenix right now has moved to minus 360. Not all that surprising. Started minus 175. There was even some minus 200s out there. They win game one. They do so relatively comfortably. They go to minus 360. Well, we go just from a mathematical standpoint. What does minus 360 mean from an implied win probability? Well, it means that they should win this series 78.3% of the time. So if you think there's a better chance, better than 78.3% of the chance, If you think there's a better than 78.3% chance that the Phoenix Suns win this series, then the Suns are a pretty good bet. However, let's bring in the Chris Paul element, right? The minus 140 on the MVP. Well, minus 140 is an implied win probability of 58.3%. So that's exactly 20% lower 
than the Suns winning this title. And that's not me saying that. That's not me, you know, using, uh, you know, a built-up model or anything like that. That is literally what the market is telling you. The market is telling you it's 78% that the Suns win the, win the title. It's telling you that it's 58% that Chris Paul wins the MVP. I have to think that that number has to be closer. After what we saw in game one, after what we see in pre-games and, and post-games and during the games and all of that sort of thing, like there just doesn't feel like, again, barring injury, but barring injury, right? If Chris Paul gets hurt, Suns probably aren't winning this anyway. It has to be Chris Paul at this point, and, or, or, or it's not a 20% gap. It's, it's not a 20% win probably. The Suns aren't 20% more likely to win the title than Chris Paul is to win the MVP, right? Like that just doesn't make any sense. This isn't a scoring race. This isn't a something that we have to, you know, um, you know, strictly believe what the box score says. This is something that people vote on and they want to vote on Chris Paul. This is sort of opposite of Nikita Kucherov over in, over in the Stanley Cup playoffs where people don't really want to bet on, on Nikita Kucherov, or at least we don't think they want to bet on Nikita Kucherov. That race is getting more and more interesting as we go here, by the way. So I think the way to bet this here is if you're betting the Suns or you're betting the, the Bucks, it's minus 140 on Chris Paul and it's plus 500 on Giannis. And to be completely honest with you, you might want to do both. You might want to do both at this point. Because how is it any how is there any way someone else wins this? And I'm not saying like let's dump the accounts on either side, but you could easily bet 20 bucks on Giannis at five to one. You win back a hundred there, right? At minus one forty, you can take what, twenty-eight, fifty-six if you want, fifty-six bucks on uh, Chris Paul, right? And you win back forty dollars there, you would lose your twenty on Giannis, and you win back twenty there, right? And if you lose the 56, well, good news, you're winning 100 on Giannis, so you're up 44 on that side of things, right? You're going to profit either way. Now, the only way you lose is if Chris Middleton wins an NBA Finals MVP, is if Devin Booker wins it, which I suppose is the most likely, right? Like, DeAndre Ayton, for all of the numbers that he may put up here, if he does, he starts ripping off 2020 type games, it's still going to be attributed to Chris Paul. Right, that's just the way that this is going to go. So we're basically ones, ones, one sons uh, win away here from you know Chris Paul probably being like a minus three hundred, minus three fifty. Now that's still going to be better than the like minus five hundred that the Suns are going to be uh, if they end up winning Game Two, right? But like it's never going to be as cheap as it is now. Now maybe the Bucks come out and they win the next game. And that might slightly change things because that obviously brings the Suns win probability down, right? So from 78, maybe they go down to you know 60, something along those lines. Uh, and thus the Chris Paul likelihood, that goes down from 58%. But like, how far is that even going to go? If this series is 1-1, for example, going back to Milwaukee, what's the win probability for Chris Paul to win MVP? Like it's still pretty close to 50-50 at that point, right? Which means he should be around plus 100. So the risk reward of like betting it now at minus 140 versus like waiting to see if it can go to like plus 105 or something like that, 
Like that doesn't really make a ton of sense. So either way, nobody should be betting on a team here for the rest of the series. Just the way that this is shook down with Giannis coming back as early as he has. Uh, one last thing on that before we get to hockey. I, I talked about the sweep, right? The idea of like eight to one on the sweep actually looks kind of interesting because what if Giannis is, is hurt, hurt, right? What if he's injured and you can't make it all the way back or if he comes back and he doesn't make it, you know, whatever, like there's a possibility or sort of a better, you know, chance than normal that the Suns would win all four games here if Giannis can't go. Well, obviously we know that he can go. <laughs> he's quite okay. And I fully expect them to win one, if not two, maybe even three games in this series. So if you did bet plus 800 on the sweep, the good news is the Suns won the first game. So you can probably get out of that in some way, shape, or form, or you can just let it ride. Maybe the Suns get the next one, and then you can kind of bail out from that standpoint using, um, you know, how you would bail out on it would be sort of an alternative, you know, uh, games line, right? An over four and a half games, something along those lines. So um, just worth mentioning there that, the good news is like it's still in good position because now that eight to one bet is now five to one. The bad news is the premise for that bet is no longer in existence unless we find out today that like, you know, overnight Giannis's knee didn't hold up and all of that sort of thing. Uh, as for the NHL, um, not necessarily a ton to talk about for this game because I think we you know, went over everything pretty significantly yesterday. But you know, we look at the game line here and it's worth mentioning because it's up to plus 200. And, you know, obviously that's different than the first two games in Tampa Bay where it was plus 175, plus 180, right? Like Tampa was pretty much minus 200. And now it's Montreal at plus 200 over at bet 365, right? And so, of course, plus 200 means an implied win probability for Montreal at 33%. Question you have to ask yourself, do they win this game 33% of the time? And if they do, then anything, you know, you believe above that is fair value. Problem is, right, what have we seen from this series? 2.07 to 1.6 on the expected goals forward even strength. 9.5 to 5.75 in the high danger chances. Tampa Bay, 7 of 38 on those high danger chances for an 18.4% conversion rate. As we know, 14% is average, so they are above average in that department. Montreal, 2 of 23 for 8.6%. That, of course, is below average in that department. Now, is there any reason to believe that those numbers are going to squeeze back closer to you know, the average. For Tampa Bay, maybe, right? Maybe Carey Price just plays as well as he does in game four and as, and not as poorly as he did in game three and to a lesser extent, you know, games one and two, which I think had a lot more to do with luck and kind of dumb plays from his um, forwards and defensemen. Um, but the other thing is Montreal. Like, do we think that they're going to, I mean, are they going to get two out of four? right? You know, that's scary too, that they just won a game by only getting four high danger chances, right? Are they going to improve on 8.6% here? What do we know? Well, we know, right? Vasilevsky, the Lightning, after a loss in the playoffs, right? In elimination games, at home, right? All of those subsets of data, the home team, after you know, after uh, a loss, the elimination, all of those things are good, good, good for Vasilevsky and the Tampa Bay Lightning here. So um, I don't know that it's 33%. To be completely honest with you, right? Like we don't love, you know, if we if we put these small sample size numbers into the let's do that hockey model and pretended that this was an entire season, this team probably should be minus two something, right? This Tampa Bay team. 
against Montreal based on what we've seen through four games. Now, if we use the entire playoffs, obviously things improve for Montreal and they actually get precipitously worse for Tampa Bay. But what matters more, right? The four games that we've seen or the priors, right, in the Stanley Cup playoffs as a whole or as the season as a whole. So I'm more apt to look at the under here. And you can do the five, but five and a half available out there at minus 161 over at Coolbet. Maybe your book has it a little bit better than that. That's kind of as high as I would go because that's obviously a lot of juice. But again, that five and a half is critical, right? We saw it in the last game, a game that felt like it was an under the whole way. And then a couple of goals happen. You find yourself 2-2 in the third period. And now you're just hanging on hoping for overtime so that this thing can get to five right so that this thing just sticks only at five and, and won't get to five and a half so you know whether it's Vasilevsky being good whether it's Montreal not getting a ton of chances uh whether it's you know Carey Price playing a little bit better um you know obviously the stuff that we've liked from Montreal the penalty kill their ability to not let Kucherov and Point beat them five on five with the exception of like a, giving up a two on O, which has very little to do with five on five plan much to do with just being poor um bench management and, and sort of just thinking out on the ice as far as when you should change i think under five and a half is a better play if you need to bet the game now obviously our you know over five and a half um is hanging at the balance here at a now a bad number because over five and a half certainly wasn't plus 200 at the start of this postseason, or excuse me, at the start of this Stanley Cup um, final. So that's obviously not ideal, but, you know, given where we were 48 plus hours ago, we'll take it and we'll sort of roll the dice and see what happens. We will, you know, remind everyone that the last time these two teams played in Tampa Bay, Montreal should have won the game and was the better team, worth mentioning in that uh you know in that case uh finally euro 2020 italy yesterday like you just you can't get enough of this this euro 2020 right um low likelihood of winning let's just call it that based on the expected goals right so it's very easy to be like okay like this team um you know probably shouldn't have won or whatever right and like and you know all of this stuff is by degrees right like should you have you know I think about like the England-Sweden game, which is like one of the first games of the tournament where England, or England, uh, Spain-Sweden, excuse me. Uh, I think of the Spain-Sweden game at the start of this tournament where it was literally like just Spain just ripping shots around, you know, certainly not through the goaltender, but literally everywhere but the net. And they end up finishing that game 0-0. And so you look back and you go, like, Sweden had no business getting the draw in that game. And I don't know that that was their strategy to just have them ripping shots in the box the entire time, but it somehow worked out. Italy's strategy is very much counter, you know, counterattack. It's very much like we're going to sit back. We're not going to give you much offensively. You can pass it around a ton, but outside of the Murata goal, and listen, Italy scores first. And this is a team that like barely has given up any goals this entire tournament. I believe just one goal to this point. And so they're very comfortable defensively, obviously, and they get the first goal. And so even the most sort of pessimistic person out there who was backing Italy or had Italy, uh, you know, if you're literally with us here, you had Italy winning this tournament at 8, 9, 10 to 1. Anybody out there is going like, Italy's got this, right? one nothing, like that's their jam. And Spain, for all of the possession that they had, name me a situation where you were like, oh, that goal, that's a definite goal. Oh, wait, it didn't, right? They weren't ripping 
uh, balls off the woodwork. They weren't, you know, relying on crazy saves. Uh, you know, nothing, you know, that Italy was doing defensively was like all that poor until Murata's goal. And so the expected goals for at the end end up being pretty lopsided, but it's soccer. So the lot, what lopsided is, is like a half a goal for one team and like one and a half goals for the other team. And so as much as you want to go like 75-25, well, if possession's 60-40 or 65-35, then yeah, the expected goals are probably going to be that way because you're going to get incremental adds to the expected goals, right? And what that means is like every shot gets graded right? Whether it's hockey or whether it's soccer, every shot gets graded on its chance of going in, right? So if you bomb one from the half, half, you know, midfield line, like Schick did in, in the first game, you know, Czech Republic against Scotland, I believe, right? Like that's a 0.001 expected goal because it never goes in. Well, in reality, it goes in the net. And so he gets one full goal on 0.01 expected goals. Well, if he had just sat there, that team had just sat there and took 100 shots from half, eventually they would have accumulated one full expected goal, even though the likelihood of any of you know, the midfield shots of going in was extremely low. And so if Spain is just consistently trying these shots and these plays that are have extremely low chances of going in, like, yes, they're going to accumulate the expected goals, right? It's why we don't get wrapped up in, you know, teams shoot getting 45 shots on net in hockey. Because we go, okay, well, how many expected goals was that actually? Because if it was five expected goals on 45 shots, now you're showing me something. But if it's only like one and a half on 45 shots, your shots probably weren't very good. So like we can use expected goals for all the time and we do so to try to get over a long period of time, right? We're trying to average out through 20, 30, 40 games in a regular season to get an idea of who these teams are. But if you're just basing it on one game, like it's anecdotal at best, right? We come on and we talk and we go, okay, 1.74 to 1.54. And it's like, I hope people don't think that because I'm saying 1.74 to 1.54, that like the team that had 1.74 was like, so much deserved to win, right? I hope the smart people who listen to this podcast like understand that. Now, I know not everybody is going to be sort of super locked in and understanding of this, and maybe you're relatively new to the show and you're still trying to figure it out. And if that's the case, feel free to DM me. We can talk about you know some of the stuff that you may have missed over the last year or hang in there for next season because we're going to do all of this stuff over again and we're going to have a really great time doing it. But the point is, is like the idea that Spain like deserved to win that game yesterday so much more than Italy did, it just kind of shows me you don't, you know, either you're new to sports or you've been watching sports for a really long time and you still haven't figured out how this stuff works, right? Especially soccer, where like a lot of teams score one goal in a game. And so the idea of this going 1-1 into extra time, and then at that point, it's just like bodies are everywhere and, and people are barely able to muster anything. And then, of course, it goes to penalties, and at which point you're 100% a coin flip. Like if we talk coin flips when it comes to hockey, you know, shootouts, we, ha we got to be <laughs> doing the same thing when it comes, um, you know, to penalty kicks. Now, you know, new to soccer, I shouldn't say new to soccer, I've been watching soccer for 30 years, but occasional soccer fan over here, like I'm looking at Italy's goalie, uh, and I'm like, this guy's a beast, this guy's an absolute, like, superhuman, he seems really big, he seems really large, and he's still very mobile, and I'm like, that guy's gonna be a problem, and I kind of like Italy's chances, again, as pessimistic as I would be, kind of like Italy's chances in penalties, right, they also give the stat that, like, no team's ever won two uh, penalty kick shootouts in the same euro 
Well, Spain just did it against Switzerland after they did it against France. And listen, if Italy ends up in a penalty shootout here in the final, they're probably going to be in trouble just based on that stat. But the point is, is like, who cares? I shouldn't even really say who cares, but like, you know, like why, why does it matter who deserved to win in a one game situation where the razor thin margin in soccer is so much different than it is, you know, even in hockey, right? Obviously the scores are somewhat the same hockey, a little bit more, you know, higher scoring, but you're certainly getting more shots on net, right? You're getting 60 to 70 shots on goal. You're getting a hundred plus attempts towards net, right? Meanwhile, in soccer, like you're counting attempts in one on one hand. And so if you have eight attempts and they have four attempts, like, yeah, you're getting 66% of the attempts, but you're still only getting four more attempts and they might not be very good. And why does the word attempt sound like I'm saying it really weird? I don't know. Um, anyway, at some point, by the way, we're going to have to have a long conversation about how people act on Twitter when it comes to sports betting and whether you're following somebody and whether you're not following somebody or whatever. Probably not the time or, you know, or the day for that. Um, England and De uh, Denmark almost said Denver. Almost finished it off with another Denver. Uh, England and Denmark. You know why it is? It's because I've started NFL stuff. By the way, I've started NFL stuff. Yeah, I've started NFL stuff. Um, and of course, everything's tri-code there. Um, England and Denmark, talked about it yesterday, rolling with the draw. Um, I kind of don't care who makes the uh, who makes the final here. I do care because, you know, listen, we got Italy into the final when we're talking 8, 9, 10 to 1 future type things. That's all we're looking for. Just get me a team into the final, right? And so... Once we have that team into the final, then we can make moves, right? We can do things with that team. We can let it ride. We can hedge it. We can come over the top looking for maybe a potentially bigger score, you know, this, that, or whatever. And listen, I'm going to be watching that game today. You know, fine tooth comb, super expert, super soccer expert, Matt Russell, going to be locked in on that game as to how I want to play the game, um, whoever gets through this round against Italy. Doesn't necessarily mean we're going to be on Italy in the final, right? The value, the bet that we made has been successful, right? It has gotten to the final where we can make moves. That's all you're asking for when it comes to something in the eight to 10 range. Um, you know, the plus 1000 zone, if you will. Um, I will say for this game, you know, talked a little bit with Ted about it. You know, obviously England at back at home, that's a big deal, I guess. Um, Denmark, just really good. And it isn't just an eye test of going like, man, these guys are like, re you know, if you, we talked about it, the idea of you traded jerseys or if you just sort of did, you know, a black team versus a white team, you know, practice jersey type thing, you know, threw, threw some pennies on these guys and ran them out there and played. Like it wouldn't look that much different from an eye test standpoint. But I will say, right, like the one thing that I look at is expected goals. And like Denmark is pretty good, right? They have won basically every game from an expected goals standpoint in this tournament, which makes sense, right? We saw game one, how well they were playing against Finland before the Ericsson thing happened, right? We understand why they ended up losing that game. Same thing with the game against Belgium, right? Right up until Belgium lost, the hardest game that Belgium had, you could make the case, was against Denmark. And so if we've seen Denmark play some of the better competition, like the Belgians of the world, then you can give them a shot here against England. And so, you know, you know, Ted mentioned like, listen, it's not even the worst idea to bet them to win the game outright. 
I don't even want to do that. I don't even want to bet Denmark to advance, right? I just think that, especially the way that England plays, right, where, you know, people are throwing the word KG around a lot this time around, right? There's every tournament, there's a different sort of word of the day, if you will. I feel like KG is this is the word this time around. We'll see 18 months from now when they play the World Cup. In the winter, by the way, brutal decision. I'm not even sure I'm going to pay attention. I probably still will. Um but, you know, like England plays so cagey and it's always like, let's try to win one nothing. And it's like, that's what gets you. That's what screws you over every time, guys. That's how you end up in penalties all the time. That's how you end up devastated at the end is by playing this style. And so if that ends up being the case and this is 0-0-1, I should always say scoreless draw. Uh, but if this is nil-nil or 1-1, right, like that would that surprise you all that much? If Denmark got an early goal and now England was on the back foot or needing to go on the front foot or doing things with their balance that I'm still not completely sure about with regards to front and back feet. Um, you know, so I'm just going to take the draw plus 260, hoping for fun right? Like the, the hard work, if you will, happened yesterday, getting Italy through. And now we sit back and we go, okay, who's Italy going to play? We'll have a bunch of days to decide, you know, we'll decide officially on Friday, how we're going to play Sunday's final, all of that sort of thing. Um, as for the rest of the week, today is Wednesday. We're watching the game today. Tomorrow, obviously, as I mentioned, probably feels a little like a eulogy for the Habs tomorrow. Hope I'm wrong. Hope I'm wrong. If I am wrong, Hopefully it's a low scoring game. We can at least maybe cash an under there if you're interested in having some bonus action, I guess. Um, but listen, maybe Carey Price steals one for real, you know, on the road, two to one, one nothing, something like that. That would be sick. Uh, at least we have something to watch. And of course, tomorrow we can talk more about game two and this whole like Suns, Bucks, how do we play it and all of that sort of thing. How does it change from earlier on in the week? Because God forbid we go 24 hours or even 12 hours having, you know, all of the parties involved in a game, um, you know, know that they're going to be there, right? And, you know, Saric left, so massive adjustments there uh, for the Suns. Just kidding. Um, so again, yeah, we'll talk about all that stuff tomorrow um, and obviously react to what happened with regards to uh, England and Denmark. As always, subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. I'm at MRussAuthentic on Twitter and the Action Network app. Until tomorrow, I'll see you at the window.